0: peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text is the epistle from Romans 9. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I don't think I've ever preached from Romans 9. Are you ready? Buckle up. Brothers and sisters, if you start reading Romans at chapter 9, you'll easily be confused and troubled. You have to start at the beginning, in chapter 1, where Paul teaches you the key to understanding the Old Testament and all of world history, and it's this, that the divine promise of salvation in Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. In other words, salvation is by faith in God's promise that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. To clinch the point of salvation that is only by faith in God's promise for Jesus' sake, Paul in Romans 1 quotes the prophet Habakkuk that no one reads. when Habakkuk said, "The righteous shall live by faith." That's Romans 1:17. So faith alone in God's verbal promise of salvation for Jesus' sake, is what saves sinners. So only when you have that under your belt, Well, you get the gist of Paul's teaching in Romans 9, or all of Romans, or all of the Old Testament, for that matter. And so in chapter 9, which you heard today, Paul begins by saying how enormously sad he is. His kinsmen, the Israelites, were God's chosen people, God's treasured possession, adopted as God's children, because Israel, as Paul said, had the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, etc. All for the sake of bringing Messiah Jesus into the world as divinely promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And yet, finally, when God fulfills his promise and Jesus is born, the Israelites, God's own people, reject Jesus. They nail him to the cross. Why? To get rid of him. They didn't believe in him. They denied Jesus, and this deeply disturbs Paul, agonizingly so. His sadness, according to the text, is so deep that he says if that he could somehow be cut off from Christ for the sake of his fellow Israelites so that they would believe in Jesus. He'd do it. But we all know that only Jesus and our Lord Jesus, his being cut off in the death of his on the cross, bearing the sin of the world is what's saying. So, what went wrong with the Israelites? Why did Israel, through whom came Jesus, the Israelite, reject Jesus, the Israelite Christ? Why didn't Israel believe? Why wouldn't they be given to by the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, in the text, I hope you you saw that. In the text, Paul says that it's not because God's word failed, it's not because God's word bombed or fell flat. Paul says that not all who are descended, listen carefully, not all who were descended from Abraham belong to Israel. Only the children of the promise are counted as Abraham's offspring. You got that? That's very important. In other words, this is how God works He makes gospel promises. You believe His gospel promise for you, and you're saved. Only believers in God's promises are true descendants of Abraham. I'm going to say that again. Only believers in God's promise of salvation in Jesus are true descendants of Abraham. If you don't believe in Jesus, then you cannot, I don't care if you're a Jew or not, you cannot count yourself as Abraham as being your father. That's absolutely critical. Now, case in point, remember Isaac and Ishmael? Remember those two in the Old Testament? Ishmael was Abraham's surrogate son through Hagar, Sarah's maid. And why in the world did Abraham pull off this surrogate surrogacy birth? Do you remember that? Well, because Hagar was young and fertile, and Sarah wasn't. Because old man Abraham did not believe God's promise that his senior citizen and barren wife Sarah could have a child with him, despite God's promise. Abraham, at the time, did not trust God. That Abraham, who'd never had a child, and Sarah, who'd never had a child, barren all her life and ready for the nursing home, they did not believe that God would give them a child. And so Abraham took matters into his own hands. He wouldn't wait for God to fulfill his promise given in his word. Sound familiar? Just like us, when God doesn't meet our expectations and when God doesn't meet our timetables, right? Yeah. And so Abraham again, taking matters into his own hands, oh, he has a son all right, but not through Sarah, like God said, but through who? Hagar, and thus Ishmael. Ishmael then was the firstborn son of Abraham. But he was firstborn only according to the law, but not according to God's promise. And so Ishmael is denied the inheritance of the firstborn, because he was not conceived through faith in God's promise, but rather by Abraham's own self-chosen deed of sleeping with the maid. Do you get it? Abraham and Sarah did finally have a son together. Who was it? Isaac. Because that was because of God's promise that God wanted these two old geezers to trust. I repeat... Isaac is the son of God's promise. Sarah conceived Isaac in her dried-up room because God promised. His word did what it promised. So I repeat this again because it's so vitally important. Isaac was conceived and born because of God's promise that faith was given to trust. Isaac and the divine promise that the Savior would come through him is exclusive only by God's grace. Pure gospel, total gift. So even though Ishmael was the legally, that is to say, by the law, the firstborn son, and therefore entitled, according to the law, to be the heir, God said no. He isn't. God said the secondborn, Isaac, the son of God's promise. The gospel is the heir. So if you're picking what Paul is throwing down, it's this. Just because you are physically, physically descended from Abraham, like Ishmael, that doesn't automatically put you into God's Israel. It's only by faith in what God promises, not by works, but only by God's promise believing it. You trust in the promise, and that's what makes you a a what? You trust in God's promise, that makes you a what? An Israelite! When you don't take matters into your own hands and you trust the Lord that you are saved for Jesus, now you're an Israelite. So, in that sense, not all of Israel is Israel. It depends on faith, faith in God's promise to send Jesus through Isaac, born of Abraham and Sarah. Paul in the text gives another example that salvation is by faith only in God's promise and not by self-chosen deeds. Do you remember Rebecca's twins? Oh yes, that's right. Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first. Jacob came out second, grabbing the heel of his brother. And you might say that Jacob made an entire career of grabbing his brother's heel, even to the point of doing what? Do you remember? Oh, yes, you do from Sunday school. Even to the point of tricking his old man, Father Isaac, into blessing him as the firstborn. But even before these two boys were born, these two twins, while Rebecca was wondering about all the kicking that was going on in her womb, God told her that the older Esau would serve the younger Jacob. Before either of the boys could prove themselves or do anything right or wrong, as Paul says in the text, God did what? He chose the second born, Jacob, to be the one who would carry the promised seed of salvation over the firstborn, Esau. Brothers and sisters, Paul demonstrates from the Old Testament how God distinguishes the law from the gospel, or grace from works. God does it this way. Listen, it's at the very end of the reading today that probably troubled you immensely. God says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Now that doesn't mean, are you listening? That troubles you, doesn't it? That doesn't mean that Jacob goes to heaven and Esau goes to hell. By the arbitrary sovereign choice of God, this isn't about their election or non-election for salvation, but instead, it is about God's election or selection or choice of who gets to carry the promised seed of salvation forward. And God chose who? Jacob, but only by grace, and certainly be not because of anything Jacob would do. I wouldn't have chosen Jacob, to be quite honest. I would have chosen Esau, and you wanna know why? I'll tell you why. Growing up in Wyoming, Esau is a man's kind of a man. Six pack abs, great physique, and boy, he loves to hunt and fish. He's the kind of man who could powerfully do a salvation job. But not Jacob. Good grief, Jacob. Jeez. He was Mama's soft boy. Remember that? Jacob, where was he? Oh, he preferred to stay in the tent kitchen close to Mama Rachel. And by the way, Jacob was a conniving weakling who together with his mother conned his macular degenerative, blind as a bat father Isaac, into blessing him by doing what? Do you remember? Dressing himself to smell and to feel like Esau, even though his voice sounded like Jacob. Now, who would you choose? You'd be like me, Esau. It's no-brainer. Who's God choose? Jacob. By grace. And that's all that matters. If you continue to read (laughs) Romans 9... Paul brings up another Old Testament example to prove that the gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe and that the righteous live by faith in God's gospel promise. He gives the example of Moses and Pharaoh. That's if you keep reading. I can't help myself. I'm going to tell you about it. Moses and Pharaoh. Tell me. Really, seriously, tell me. Which dude was the better one? Was it Moses? Really? Moses was a murderer. He had blood on his hands. Cold-blooded murderer he was. He was. And so, what did Moses have to do? He had to flee Egypt. He was a wanted man. And as Moses was trying to play incognito and hiding out in the desert, tending his father-in-law's flocks, what did God do? God tracked Moses down. Do you remember that? The burning bush episode in Exodus 3? That's where God called Moses to do what? (laughs) The last thing Moses wanted to do. Go back to Egypt and exodusly lead captive Israel both to Mount Sinai and the Promised Land. And Moses, he balked at the call. He was content being a shepherd of a few wilderness sheep, not an entire people. So if you compare resumes, I would contend that Pharaoh had the better skill set to rule a nation. But who did God choose? Moses. By grace. God does what he wants. Listen carefully. God does what he wants graciously. What I'm trying to say to you from Romans 9 is this, is that everyone has a place and everyone has a purpose as God molds the course of history, in fact, world history, like a master potter. God has a Moses and a Pharaoh, a Jacob and an Esau, an Ishmael, And an Isaac. He has a believing Israel and what else? He has an unbelieving Israel. And all are like clay in the hands of the master craftsman. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan and a purpose. He makes examples of, listen carefully now, God makes examples of wrath and examples of mercy. He shows the world the futility of earning his favor by works. God even made a nation, Israel, and gave them more works than they could shake a stick at, which they didn't do. More commandments than the federal tax code. Good grief, read Exodus and all the regulations. Read Leviticus and read all the regulations. And they couldn't keep them. And God did that. God did that to show the world, to show the world that a religion based on good behavior and commandment keeping is destined to fail. It's dead on arrival. Literally dead in trespasses and sin. So, what's God up to? What do we learn from Romans 9? In a word, salvation. Salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. That all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, namely to trust his promise that salvation is only in Jesus. And so, God is willing to take a people who were not his people, Gentiles like you and me, and make them his people. He's willing to take those who were not loved, in fact, who were loveless, his enemies, and call them my beloved. Is God crazy? (laughs) No. He's merciful and gracious for Jesus' sake. And that mercy and grace simply do not follow rules, whether it's the rules of the firstborn, rules of fairness, or any other rule for that matter. And brothers and sisters, that's the point of it all. Salvation is by grace. It's simply a free gift. It's undeserved, it's unmerited, it's granted for the sake of our Lord's death and resurrection, and it's received only through faith. So ever since Adam's fall into sin, God has been instructing the world that the world cannot dig itself out of the hole that it's fallen in, no matter how hard it religiously tries. Jesus, however, literally dove headfirst into that hole himself, and raised it all in his own resurrection so essentially then god made an object lesson out of israel and said here's how it works folks here's how it works trust me and trust my promises and you're in try to do it yourself and you're going to fail every time and paul then clinches the point at the end of romans 9 and he says this this is the end of romans 9 what shall we say then that the Gentiles, that you and me, who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, righteousness through, through faith. But that Israel, who pursued the righteousness which is based on law, did not succeed in fulfilling that law. Why, Paul asks. Here's the answer. Listen carefully. Because they, the Israelites, and this is to answer the question I ask, why did Israel not... Paul says, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall, and he who believes in him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. So did the word of God fail because many of the Israelites didn't believe? Paul's answer is a flat-out and categorical no. In fact, it succeeded beyond all expectations. From one man, Abraham, came a nation, Israel. From the nation Israel came one man, the Christ. And from that one man, Jesus the Christ, came salvation for the world and for you. The word of God never fails to accomplish its purpose. And so you who live by faith, you who are sitting here today, you're evidence of that fact. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. The Apostles' Creed.